could be really inspiring and you know and encouraging to all of you. And on the other hand, I see I have my very special friend Jolene here, and I know she is hoping that my voice is going to put Callista to sleep and keep her sleeping the whole service. And so I'm not too sure where I should go right now because my heart is a bit torn with both those requests. But it's just lovely to have the Bonnies here and little Callista had a very first church service. As you know, we're talking through the book of Psalms, which is very much referred to as the hymn book of the Bible. And this great collection of hymns, poems, and prayers provides an incredible source of, of praise, prayer, and worship for each one of us. The word Psalms actually means instrumental music, and by extension, the words that accompany the music. And these words are written over many, many centuries and express the whole range of human emotion, from vibrant celebration to the depths of despair. They're written to awaken and express and shape the emotions of God's people. And as you read the Psalms, you will see that they are honest, they are real, and they are incredibly helpful in guiding us into a deep and genuine relationship with God. You know how there's certain songs that, that always seem to be tied to a place or to a memory? Like, you know, a particular song will play and immediately you're taken back in your mind to maybe that, you know, particular wedding that you went to, or it's the high school dance you've got memories of, or perhaps a particular car trip. And you just hear that song and immediately those memories come. Well, I have that same link with the psalm that I want to share with you today. And in, in 2008, I was very privileged to visit Israel with JLife Africa um, as part of the Global Youth Initiative Conference. And it was a, a trip filled with growing in knowledge and understanding and exploring biblical sites that really made the scriptures just come alive to me. And, you know, I now have a video playing in my mind when I, you know, read about certain places in the scriptures that I've actually seen with my own two eyes. And as you can see on the screen, there's some pictures I want to share with you because one of the places we visited there was called En Gedi, which is an oasis and nature reserve that's located west of the Dead Sea. And I remember we did this walk in En Gedi and it was a, um, up to a waterfall. And, you know, on the way, it was, a, it was a really hot walk. And I was struck just by the barrenness of the hills as we were walking there up the path. And you can see from the pictures there too, just that really sort of, you know, pale, really dry and barren hills on either side of the path. And as we were walking up there, I happened to look and see some deer that were sitting on either side of the path. And so the top right photograph, you can see there from my, my little photo album, the picture of the two deer sitting there. And we, we saw those deer just before we arrived at the waterfall um, that we were going to. And the words, I remember so clearly, the words of Psalm 42 came to me so clearly the minute I saw those deer. And it was these words, as the deer pants for streams of water. And you can go back to the pictures there, John. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. And I could just imagine these deer in this dry landscape, just like panting for water and finding refreshment as they came to that waterfall that we came across that was just so refreshing for everyone too. And, and just finding such refreshment as they found this oasis in the desert, this green and shade um, that just was found amidst all these barren, brown desert hills. The song, also, the song goes on to say, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. And I always think of that waterfall in, in, in Gedi when I read that scripture and, and ponder on that scripture too. So I want to share with you this morning from Psalm 42, and it is a psalm that is very personal to me. 
Um, it carries not only lovely visual memories for me of that, of encountering, you know, God there in Israel through that song, but it also is it's special to me because it's got memories of encountering God in times of great of, of trial and, and despair in my own life. Now, the book of Psalms is divided into five sections or books, and Psalm 42 begins a new section, book two. Um, in the book of Psalms. And for the first time, we're told here that a psalm is written by someone other than David. It says there at the beginning of the psalm, for the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Now, the sons of Korah, they, they penned the psalm and a few other psalms, um, particularly found in book two. And they were a group of priests who were charged with the ministry of singing. Now, it says there too that the song was a, um, a mascal, and we're not clear what that word means, but it's, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word. It comes from the Hebrew verb that means to make someone wise or to instruct. And so when it is applied to the Psalms, it may mean that this is a song that instructs. Because certainly this psalm was probably used in public worship and it was a psalm that would have been sung. And I think there's much in this psalm today to make us wise. And that is why I really wanted to share it with you today. And we're going to be reading this psalm now in connection with Psalm 43. And the reason we're doing that is there are a number of ancient Hebrew manuscripts where both of these psalms um, are just seen as one continuous psalm. But whether they're two or one, the subject is obviously similar. And they're united with that common refrain um, of verse 5 and 11 of Psalm 42 and verse 5 of Psalm 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm 42 and 43, but I will be reading it along for you. It's on the screen. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 43, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me. From deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. 
Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What do we see in this psalm? The psalmist finds himself exiled from Israel and the worship festivals of God's people. He's being taunted by enemies who are saying to him, where is your God? And the oppression that he's under has just plunged this man into a deep, deep depression. This is not a happy psalmist. And if we look at the very rich description of his emotional state, we'd have to say that these are not emotions that are foreign to us either. Because the reality is that many of us have been able to relate to his reality. Because life can be really tough, really challenging, and very overwhelming at times. In the psalmist, it it seems almost like he's having sleepless nights. He says he's been weeping in anguish. He's been upset to the point of crying day and night. My tears have been my food day and night. He's feeling unsettled and disturbed. My soul is downcast within me. He feels like he's drowning. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. In fact, his body is in pain in his anguish. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. And he feels like God is just not present and has forsaken him. Why have you forgotten me, O God? Why have you rejected me, he cries. He's oppressed by his enemies, and in the midst of that suffering, he's enduring the taunting words of those who've come against him, so that he has to cry out, vindicate me, my God, rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. And his enemies just continue to say to him, where is your God? Which really implies that something obviously has gone wrong in this man's life, or they wouldn't be saying to him, where is your God? How do you respond? When life gets difficult and you find yourself in the season where this is your story. Because life is not easy when we feel overwhelmed and forgotten. And life is especially hard when it seems like God has completely forgotten about us while being struck down by others. I don't know how many of you can remember back 30 odd years to the 80s. In 1986, the singer Billy Joel had a hit song with the song, When the Going Gets Tough. The tough gets going. Well, there are not too many other helpful lyrics in that song. But in the lyrics of this psalm, there are at least three things that can help us to hold on to hope and despair in seasons of discouragement and despair. In fact, there's a whole lot more than three things, but I'm going to share some of the, the psalmist's helpful insights under three broad headings because I, I hope that will then be easier for you to remember. And the first thing that we see from the psalmist um, that can help us to hold on to hope in seasons of discouragement and despair is to seek God himself. And I think there's, there's four distinct ways we see the psalmist seeking God himself here. And he does that firstly, he seeks God himself firstly by thirsting. He thirsts for God like a deer pants for the water. As a deer pants for the flowing streams, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
And what is significant to note here is he's not thirsting for relief from his threatening circumstances. He's not thirsting mainly for escape from his enemies or thirsting for their destruction. More important than anything else is the psalmist is thirsting for God himself. And when we think and we feel with God in the Psalms, that is the main result, is that we come to love God and we want to see God, and we want to be with God, and we want to be satisfied in worshiping and exalting in God. And as I mentioned earlier, I have a vivid visual picture of, that, of the deer's thirst for water from my Israel trip. Picturing those deer in that dry landscape, being desperate for water, helped me to understand the passion and the longing that we are to have for the Lord. Just as a deer needs those streams of water for survival, and he pants for those refreshing streams. So also our souls should be longing for God. In fact, the thirst is so strong for the psalmist that he asks, when, when can I go and meet with God? Now, St. Augustine, who was a Roman African, early Christian theologian, who is considered by many to be one of the most intelligent men to have ever lived and was also one of the most influential amongst the early church fathers has this very well-known saying that has gone through all the centuries. And I want to share it with you. It comes from his, um, his book, Confessions. And he said this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And I wanted to share that quote because I think it really speaks to the thirst in all of our souls because everyone is searching for a way to have that soul thirst satisfied. And some seek to satisfy that with healthy ways and others with unhealthy ways. But thirsting for the living God only begins when we realize that it is a matter of our own soul's life and death. And just as the deer requires water for life and therefore thirsts for it, so too we will thirst for the living waters of God if we will see its need. The psalmist's desire, as I said earlier, is so strong that he just wants to meet with God. It's not enough for him just to go and, and worship God from afar. It's not enough for him just to long for God. That thirst can only be quenched for him when he goes to meet God. He wants to experience God, to be with God, to spend time with God, to have that intimacy with God. He doesn't just see worship knowledge and, and reading as some religious ritual that he needs to get through. Rather, he realizes that that worship and knowledge and, and reading are, are ways for him to be able to be with God. They're ways to get to know and to experience God until we can see him face to face. If we are to hold on to hope and in seasons of discouragement and despair, we need to thirst for more of God to thirst for a, a deeper relationship with him, a deeper dependency upon him. And it is then that our relationship of faith is strengthened. Our hope is kept alive. And the thirsting of our souls is satisfied. We need to pray earnestly. Honest prayers of deep emotion, leading to God for more of himself. And then our psalmist, he seeks God himself by questioning. He asks God why. He responds to his circumstances by asking God why. Why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? Haven't we all looked at something in the world and asked, how can God be letting this happen? 
making it even more personal, haven't we all looked at our own lives at some point and asked, why would God be putting me through this, letting this happen to me? And believing that God is, is sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, present, am I allowed to question God? Or should I simply be accepting what is going on around me and in my life? Well, if there's one thing that the Psalms has taught me, and I see it very much in our Psalms today, it is that the different Psalmists, including David, they question God. They ask him questions like, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? They ask, like our Psalmist today, why have you forgotten me? Then why do you forget our affliction and oppression? How long, O God, they ask, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? They challenge God about what is going on in their own lives. They challenge God about the struggles they're facing. And they look around and they question why wicked men seem to flourish, why God's people often seem to be in trouble. They are so open in their questioning of God. Does this make them disrespectful? I don't think so. Because even as they question and challenge God, they remain convinced of God's goodness and his sovereignty over all that is happening. And they often show this by, by finishing off their psalms with an affirmation of God's character. And it seems that questioning God and, and trusting God are two things that go hand in hand. Because questioning and having the right to question implies that there's a relationship that exists. And while the psalmist asks the question, he realizes that God is in complete control. And he trusts God no matter what. Despite all the questions that arise, he continues to affirm God's characteristics. So the model of questioning, um, according to Psalms, seems to be that it's okay to come before God and ask, what are you doing, God, when we just don't understand in fact, it actually seems very helpful and very healthy to be able to bring this raw honesty before God and the questions on our hearts as we seek to live for God. Honesty, as we know, is vital in any relationship. And how much more so in this, our most significant relationship? And there seems to be something very important and significant when we can bring that honesty, that pain, and that bitterness in our questioning before God. Because somehow in voicing those questions and speaking it out, it's like that pain and bitterness that's sitting inside of us is suddenly just released and it comes out. And when we put those questions out there, that pain and bitterness is put out there, prevents it from festering within, and suddenly then the light of God can shine on that and healing can begin to come. I want to just give you a very simple but very real example of this from um, a story from my own family. We are a very close family, and supporting each other and being there for each other is something that's very important for us. And as many of you know, most of my family lives in KwaZulu-Natal, so it's very hard for my husband, Mike, and I to physically be present for a lot of these family gatherings. But last year, it was my younger brother's wedding, and so we flew up to Natal for that, and were able to go a few days before the weekend just to, to help and support and be there. And my other brother is also married and has two sons, our two nephews, and they were so excited that, that we were there now you know, during a school week and were finally able to come and support them at one of their school matches. And so um, 
particularly our older nephew Josh was beside himself with excitement that his uncle Mike was going to come watch him play cricket. Now he's at Merkiston, he was in grade four at the time, and, and was the whole week just was getting more and more hyped that, you know, particularly Uncle Mike was coming to watch him on Friday. The fact that Auntie Shelley was there would have been just, yeah, that's nice, but Uncle Mike was going to watch him. And he was talking this up and getting so super excited and just was, was just so over the moon that this was actually going to be happening. And we wouldn't just be sending a WhatsApp photograph, you know, across the miles. All the week this excitement mounted, then Friday arrived and it poured with rain. And unfortunately, they had to call off all the sport for that day and, you know, obviously came and announced to all the boys in the classroom, sorry guys, you know, sports off the afternoon, you know, the weather's, you know, it's cancelled everything. And Josh was absolutely devastated. My sister-in-law also is a teacher at the school, she teaches in the preschool, and at break time, he went running off to, that, to her classroom, burst into her classroom there and just wasn't sobbing and sobbing. Do you know what his first thing was he said to her was, Mom... Why would God let this happen? That was how he verbalized his pain. And I think it's an important story to share because I think it's an example of, you know, when our souls are in despair, and his was in deep despair then, we tend to question God. And that's okay. Because it's a great starting point for God to begin the healing and everything else. But we have got to learn to finish off our questioning by affirming God's character and his complete control over everything. And that's the next thing that we see our psalmist does. In seeking God himself, he does this by affirming truth. And there are a lot of truths that are affirmed for us in Psalm 42 and 43. He affirms God's sovereign love for him. He says, By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. You are God, my Savior. You are my God. He says, you are God, my stronghold. He says, you are God, my joy and my delight. And in fact, at the end of verse 7, he says, all of your breakers and your waves, God, have gone over me. So even in acknowledging then that, it, that it's almost like, you know, he's been sort of drowning even in, you know, the waves that God has sent and everything else. And it looks like God has forgotten him. He never stops, even then, believing in the absolute sovereignty of God over all of his challenges. And then he seeks God himself, lastly, by praising him. He sings to the God at night, pleading for his life. He says, by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Now, friends, this song... The song of the night is not a song of hope. He doesn't feel hope. He is seeking and trusting God for hope. But that's not a song of hope. It is a prayer song. It is a song of pleading. It is a song to the God of my life. Might Psalm 42 have come from a prayer and a psalm of the night? Not many of us can compose songs at the best of times, least of all when we're feeling discouraged and depressed. But there is something so healing about singing through our pain and singing in our pain. There is power in our worship, even when it's a worship that is born out of tears. And I just wanted to read you a quote by Tommy Walker, speaking about understanding the breakthrough power of worship. And I'm going to read this to you so 
I think it is so powerful. He says, worship is how we allow God to fight our battles for us. There is something inherent in the act of worship that enables us to encounter the power of God like nothing else. It is not effective to simply tell somebody to stop worrying or stop being proud or stop being self-consumed or to stop being insecure, but it is effective to tell them to start worshiping. When we make that decision to fix our eyes on Jesus, we quickly realize that God has already begun to release the grip that these tendencies can have on our lives. Worship is a declaration of our weakness and God's strength. I challenge you in your next points of needs to make that hard choice to be a worshiper, to let the breakthrough God fight your battle for you. Because when we worship, the invisible God is at work doing invisible and powerful things. We get realigned, refreshed, refueled. We find unspeakable joy and indescribable peace. We discover the breakthrough strength of God, which enables us to walk in the truth, live in his presence, and see him fight our battles for us. Powerful words. But these songs and worship I'm talking about are not songs of praise, but they are songs of faith. And they are shaped by that real life journey of trusting God, even in the desert, thirsting, for his, for his living water. And we've got a few of those songs of faith that we sing too. And I remember being at one of our most conferences and just we're going into a worship time and, and going into that worship time and just knowing the, the very real pain that a, a friend was going through at that time and you know, obviously finding it quite difficult to worship God because of some of the, the loss and everything they'd encountered in pain. And we sang as part of our worship then that song, God be my everything. God am I living, God am I breathing. And part of the the worship of the, um, the chorus goes like this. God in my laughing, there in my weeping, you are God in my hurting, and God in my healing. And I remember them singing this song with just such honesty and passion, um, perhaps a tear or two there too, but really raw, weren't feeling like praising, but was just singing those truths. You are God in my laughing, you are God in my weeping. You are God in my hurting, and I declare you are God in my healing. And that song, I think, was just almost had a power to drive the darkness away. And we were talking after that worship experience and just saying, like, something significant happened in that space for them. And I think to praise God, not to think, I know, to praise God, is to, you know, it's focusing on His attributes and His actions. And as we deliberately direct our thoughts to God, we're reminded about his saving grace to each one of us in Jesus Christ. And being reminded of that truth, it's like our souls are lifted. So the psalmist teaches us to seek God himself. That's the first point, four different ways to do that. The second thing he does, it teaches us how we can hold on to hope in seasons of discouragement and despair, is to remember past worship experiences. And that's different to the songs of the night that we sing on our own. He's remembering past experiences of corporate worship times together. He says, I remember how I would go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. And what I want to say is that not enough is said about the incredible power of corporate worship in each one of our lives. Friends, what we do here 
when we come together as God's people is not something that we must take lightly or that we must ever take for granted. God means for these encounters with him in corporate worship to encourage us to preserve our faith now for those times of difficulty that we have later or when we are on our own. We can often feel isolated in times of discouragements and despair, and I think there are many people that in those kind of seasons, when they're feeling really low, they don't really want to be around people, and you know, especially gathering together with God's people, but that is often just what we need, because there's something about corporate worship that cannot be experienced in individual worship. And the psalmist realizes that the place of joy where the need of his soul is going to be satisfied is going to be met in corporate worship with God's people. And so when you're feeling down, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but the seasons like this for me certainly have been true. When there are times when you're feeling just really low and down and you, you have a desperate need to be close to God, but obviously in your, um, in your sort of spirit of despair, you're really feeling like you're not close to God. You come here to church, choose to come to the church service, even though you don't want to worship, you don't feel you even can worship. And just by being present here with God's people, something special happens to you during worship. You might not even be in that place where you can even sing and worship yourself, but just being present here, seeing the goodness of God being poured out through the praises of other people, looking around and seeing brothers and sisters, men and women of faith that you know, that you know have gone through every season of life and they have praised God through all of those seasons of life, seeing those men and women praising God and be reminded of their faithfulness, just seeing that and hearing that and being in the presence of that kind of corporate worship, something special can happen in your own soul. And it's almost like there's a, a breakthrough by just being in the presence of others worshiping. And it's almost as if God's people in the beginning are worshiping on your behalf. And then suddenly there's that breakthrough moment where there's just release in your own soul. And you are able to once again be free to sing and to praise God. But you need to start by being in the community and letting the praises of God's people first sing over you and ring over you to release that freedom and lift that spirit of despair. We can hold on to hope in seasons of discouragement and despair if we will not forget meeting together and take seriously our times of corporate worship together. And then lastly, we can hold on to hope in seasons of discouragement and despair by speaking truth to our own soul. And that's the last thing I wanted to say. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Speaks to himself there. Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my God and my Savior. We have got to learn to speak the truth to ourselves. It might seem like a bit of psychobabble to some to, to encourage you to speak to your emotions. But as we see from the psalm, it's a very significant tool in helping us to hold on to hope in these seasons of discouragement and despair. It's almost like, I think it's more like speaking to our soul and but as the psalmist speaks to his soul here and his emotions, he doesn't, he's doing that because he doesn't want to allow what he's feeling to dictate to his mind and to his thoughts. And that is, I think, a really critical principle for all of us to understand and, and to commit ourselves to in the, middle, in the midst of some very dark times. In as much as we are able, 
we must not allow our emotions to get the best of us and to control our thinking and our actions. We've got to try not to allow our emotions to dictate, to, you know, dictate to us how we then live. To be governed purely by our feelings, I think we all know to be governed purely by our emotions will make us a bit of an emotional mess. But the psalmist is telling us that there is a place and then there is a time where we need to talk ourselves through many of the hard times of life by reminding ourselves of some key truths. Reminding ourselves of who God is, what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. And so I want to conclude with that most beautiful part of the psalm, which for me is the refrain. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Even though we will not always understand God, we will not always understand his ways, even though at times we will feel rejected, we will feel oppressed, we must continue to praise God. Then I will go to the altar of God. The psalmist says, to God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. 2017, Regenbow Man sang that song, We're Only Human After All. It's deep, gravelly voice. And I think it's a song that, that resonates a lot with people because that is a reality we carry. We are only human after all. And, you know, in our humanity, we can really struggle with the losses and the reversals and the discouragements that life throws our way. Some of those losses are extremely difficult for us to overcome. But ultimately, as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who call themselves Christians who are maturing in our relationship with God, we are learning that despite our losses, despite our reversals of fortune and our moments of despair, there is a living God who wants to present himself in our lives to be greater and stronger than all of this pain. And the truth is that he is greater and stronger than everything. For he is our Savior and our God. And we're going to respond to him now as we come to the communion table and share communion together as a, another very special overflow of our hearts. And I'm going to ask John to come up and those who are serving at the communion table with John, if you would come and join us here. And as, as they come up, I just want to read to you as an invitation the words of a song. And it says this, Come to the water, all who are thirsty, come and drink. Come to the table, all who are hungry, come and feast. Those who are weary, those who are needy, come, receive. Come to the river, come to the river, taste and see. O oh, my soul, thirst for you, you alone. O oh, my soul, thirst for you, you alone. So I will taste and see that you are good. I will taste and see that you are good. I will taste and see that you are good. You are good to me. Amen. Thank you, Shelley. Isn't it true one of the things we all have to navigate is that issue called faith and that issue called feelings. What we believe versus the way we feel. It's all part of our Christian journey to navigate those. And God has given us some wonderful mechanisms or tools to be able to do that. One of them 
is the communion table. One of them is when we're able to sit around this table. And let me read to you what it reminds us of. It tells us, we are told this in the Old Testament, surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. 